Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What's up, everyone? How are we all doing this week? I know it's been a tough one, but there is a light at the end of the tunnel, and that is a beautiful thing, my friends. This week, I chopped it up with Dr. Wendy Balaby, Director of Mental Performance and Health for the Chicago Bulls, and I can't wait for you to hear that conversation. But first, you know I got to hit you with some headlines. The National Basketball Players Association voted Thursday in support of starting this coming season on December 22nd, which is the date the league has been targeting for a planned 72-game season. The season is expected to conclude before the start of next summer's Tokyo Olympics, but player salaries, navigating testing, and free agencies are all matters that remain to be determined. You can read more about that news at the chicagosuntimes.com slash sports. Up next, we got some White Sox news. Eloy Jimenez, Tim Anderson, and Jose Abreu all won Silver Slugger Awards on Thursday, setting a franchise record with three recipients. Claps for those guys. Anderson and Jimenez each won their first Silver Slugger Award, but this is the third for Abreu, who said, quote, I am very happy to win the Silver Slugger Award, but I am happier of winning it this year along with Tim Anderson and Eloy Jimenez. He went on to say, I feel like a proud father because he's watched them grow and develop. Aw. You can read more about that at sometimes.com slash White Sox. In Bears news, the team was sent home and practice was canceled Thursday after a second player tested positive for COVID-19 in three days. Sunday's game against the Titans is still scheduled to go on as planned, but since October 21st, 21 NFL teams have put at least one player on the reserve slash COVID-19 list for a positive test. This is a developing story, obviously, and you can read more about it at suntimes.com slash bears. All right, wrapping up this week's hot headlines, the NWSL expansion draft is less than a week away and teams release their protected list. Notable names left unprotected include Megan Rapino, Carly Lloyd, Kristen Press, Tobin Heath, and others. The full list of protected and unprotected players was revealed by the NWSL on Thursday. Teams were able to protect 11 players, including up to two allocated U.S. national team players. If one of their allocated U.S. players are taken, then they're exempt from the rest of the draft. Louisville can take up to two players from each team and up to two allocated U.S. players total. If Louisville does not take any allocated players, it will receive $150,000 in allocation money. And if it only takes one U.S. player, it will receive $75,000 in allocation money. 
The Chicago Red Stars, as you all know, or if you haven't heard, will avoid any expansion draft news after securing roster protection in a trade that sent Yuki Nagasato and Savannah McCaskill to Racing Louisville. You can read more about the expansion draft at thesuntimes.com slash soccer. All right. Now is the conversation you've all been waiting for. Here is Dr. Wendy Bollaby. Wendy, thank you so much for joining us on Equal Play. Oh, thanks for having me. I think this is such a great, I'm so glad you're doing this. I think that's just, just wonderful. We need, we need more women to be out there, out there doing things like this for us. So this is, this is fabulous. Well, I, I honestly was somewhat inspired by our conversation that we had um, back when we ran a story about your career and your life in the Chicago Sun Times. And I felt kind of selfish, like that I was getting to hear from all these Im- insanely impressive women. And yeah. I was only able to share a portion of your story. So I was like, we need to develop a platform where everyone can hear the conversations I'm having with these women. So that was kind of an idea behind starting this podcast. And with that being said, I really want to start from the beginning with you because your journey to becoming a performance psychologist is really so unique. And it's, it's just, it's really special. I mean, you could write a book and (laughs) it would spell out, I'm certain. So can we start there and you just explain a little bit about how you really got started down this road to becoming a performance psychologist? Sure, sure. Um, I will say, though, let me add that I am, my, my title has changed with the Bulls. I'm now the Director of Mental Performance and Health. Okay, there we so, go. <laughs> there's, there's that. Um, but let's see, sports psychology. I, I actually got into sports psychology truly by happenstance. I had already graduated from, from undergraduate and, you know, played basketball, played sports, but it didn't really pan out. And so I graduated and and was working at a facility with bipolar, depressed, and schizophrenic adults. And Mm -hmm. one of my coworkers was going to a sports psych conference in New Orleans. And um, she knew that I was an athlete, so she asked me if I'd go with her. And so I went because her job was going to pay for it. And it was a free weekend in New Orleans. Who would pass that up? (laughs) Right? And I I actually didn't even attend a single event. I didn't do anything sports psych related. I just had like the best weekend in New Orleans. Um, And then... When I moved to Atlanta about a year or so later, um, probably think like two years after that, I was I started thinking, what is this sports I thing? Because I wanted more. I was doing a job. I was actually working for sex offenders, um, with sex offenders, and was like adolescent male sex offenders. And I thought I needed more of a challenge. And so I kind of remember the sports site thing and did some investigating. And and Georgia Southern and U- University of Georgia both had the master's program. And so I, you know, looked into it and ended up going to Georgia Southern. And um, and it was just like taken off from there. But it was. It was purely by, again, happenstance. If my coworker would have not have mentioned going to the sports high conference, I would have never heard of it. I mean, I never I did. I didn't know anything about it. So I was just at the right place and heard this and thought later on, what was that again? Let me look into that. And yeah, I, I love it. <laughs> you know, I think your story is so great because it's really shows how the universe conspires to puts you down the path that's meant for you. And, Mm -hmm. you know, another really important lesson I learned from your career is that there's no timeline on when you're going to accomplish X, Y, and Z. 
um, you started the program at Georgia Southern and you were 28 years old. And for a lot of people, they think you have to have it all figured out by a certain mm-hmm. age, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. So what is your advice to young people and young women specifically on that topic of thinking you have to have it all figured out by a certain yeah, well, age? Yeah, obviously you don't. So that that's the, <laughs> <laughs> you don't need to have it all figured out. Um, but I would say, I, I think um, the thing that helped me in the process was I, I took, I took a job, I took jobs that sounded interesting to me. Um, I wasn't, thinking career wise, but that wasn't intentional. I was just thinking I needed a job. So if there was something, a job that, that, you know, um, that I saw that looked interesting, like to my first job out of college was working at, you know, battered women and children's shelter and, um, and then found another job working with, again, the schizophrenics. And so it was, it was just jobs that seemed interesting. And so as I was going down the path of what I wanted to do, I didn't know, but, um, I kept taking jobs that had to do with psychology Mm-hmm. So that, that, that became the thread of like, huh, well, what is a sports psych thing? Because if I continue taking jobs that have to do with helping people psychologically or trying to, uh, and I love sports, you know, let's just sports. I think, so I think if you're, if you're going on that path, maybe try to see if they're, what the thread is, what mm-hmm. the thread is and the jobs that you're interested in, maybe not the jobs that you have, but the jobs that you're interested in, see what that thread is. And maybe that'll help you figure out what that, what's your career path that niche is or what it is that you love to do, you know? Um, and I, I say, don't, I, I wouldn't beat yourself up because you haven't figured it out. There's a lot of people out there that haven't figured it out. That doesn't mean you're not successful. That means you're, you're just going on a different path. Right. I think one of the most valuable lessons I've learned is that trial and error is really a beautiful thing. And a lot of people are so scared to fail mm-hmm. because obviously there's a lot of, difficulty that comes with failure, but failing helps push you along to success and failure helps, you know, weed out what isn't meant for you. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I just, that was always something from the moment I heard your story, I was super inspired by. So Georgia Southern was quite an experience for you. Um, you pushed yourself, you graduated with all A's, correct? That was something we talked about. I did, which for the first time ever have I ever, ever. had all A's. Ever. <laughs> Literally ever did I have all A's. That was in my master's program. So um, that was a, a great source of pride for me. Um, but, you know, you're never too, never too young. So there you go. <laughs> exactly. And another, just another lesson that you don't have to have some insanely impressive uh, history in the classroom mm-hmm. to go on to get your master's. But One thing that really um, stood out to me when I heard your story and and spoke with you originally was just the the program itself and the students you were with within that program and that you talked about them being three white male colleagues and then yourself. Mm -hmm. What was it like being in that program and being the only woman and the only black woman at that? Yeah, you know, interesting thing, though, is that I, I, I didn't really think of it that way at the beginning, because that's you that was, I'm, norm, I'm used to that. I'm, norm, I'm used to being um, usually the only minority anyways. And so it didn't really stand out to me that this was something, you know, different. Um, not until, um, and I think I said this to you before, that my professor um, said to me that um, I should go into, I should think about going into um, research or going to teaching as opposed to working with athletes directly. Um, the applied work because he said that uh, sports psychology was a lily white field and white males were not going to um, 
stand by or move aside for an African-American woman to take their jobs. And so mm-hmm. um, that was the first time that I, I think really had a, an impact and, and a stand up to be like, wait, I, I'm, then I started kind of looking around at, okay, I see what's happening and um, this is not going to be an easy, <laughs> an easy job at all or easy trek. I mean, cause it's, if, if a white male is telling me this, then it's, you know, it's real. Did you ever come upon a direct, you know, challenge that, that, or, or did you ever see that directly affect your trajectory in the business? You being a black woman in the business, did you experience discrimination from your peers? Did you experience challenges in that way? Um, I, I did. And I think I still do. I think I still do. You know, I, I don't think it's, it has ever left, but um, absolutely the, 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 the discrimination or the challenges, I'm going to say more of the challenges, um, having to feel that you always have to, um, to do more or to prove yourself. I mean, I've been in, you know, you're, you're, you're in conferences and you're in conversations and, um, you can, you're overlooked because you're not, because you're the the black woman in the the conversation, you're overlooked. Mm -hmm. Um, and everyone else has their, 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 um, their opinions. There's, you know, I've been to conferences, conferences where there is a panels for um, professional athlete or professional folks that work in professional settings or a panel for folks that work in academics or panels for people that work with elite athletes. And again, it's, there's not a minority on the panel and there's, you know, four or five of us sitting in the back going, how is this possible? You work here, you work here. And we were neither, none of us was invited to be on this panel. It's just five white people sitting there. So it's, it's something we, we still see, you know, um, and still have to, still have to handle. Um, however, I, I know that is a conscious thing for the sports psych world to try to change that and improve that. So hopefully that'll happen in the next few years or so. Yeah. If it's a conscious effort to change that, how do you see it changing? Do you see more students in the classroom? Like how, how are you directly seeing it change? Well, I would say not more students in the classroom. I would say more of, so the, our, like our pres, our current president right now actually is African-American woman, which is the first time ever. And so that's, that's a huge, you know, a, a, a bonus, a wonderful thing. Um, but it's, it's more of, of her asking people to help make the change that this is not an exclusive group any longer. Mm-hmm. We want to take that away because that's what it's thought of as an exclusive group. And we want to be inclusive mm-hmm. to everybody. And so that is something that, you know, she's wanting and, and I, and I think the sports world is wanting as well, but you know, when you, when you give up that exclusivity, there's a feeling, there's that feeling that you know, folks have. And so, um, wanting to help people realize that it, it's not taken away from what you're doing and what you've done. If you are inclusive, it's actually mm-hmm. adding to it. Right there. We're definitely seeing a lot of, a lot of that fear of inclusivity. And, and if I give up this, does does that put me in a lesser position? And we're seeing that in a lot of different fields, but um, it's beautiful to also be seeing that change. And it's important to be seeing that change. How did you build up your confidence to break into that exclusive all white boys club? Did you have to do that? Or did you just have a natural confidence? Like I belong here and I'm going to do what I have to do to get to the top. Um, I, I think that the confidence, I truly feel like the confidence was always there. I just did. I don't think that I tapped into it. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my, my focus, which actually took me um, down the, the perfect path, truly the perfect path. But my focus was, I thought, 
I'm in school, I'm a student, whether I was in my master's program or even my doctor program, I'm a student. So because I'm a student, because I have somebody that knows more than me and has more experience than me, um, I can try anything that I want because they're going to help me navigate how to do it. And so I, that's what I did. I, I, I put myself out there so many different times to try to figure things out and had them kind of help me navigate. I, I went out and got my own practicum for, you know, my first and my second year as a master's student. I did the same thing as a doctorate student. Even after that, I was going out there asking people if they wanted, you know, I was offering free sports psych services because I was a student and I was learning. And so, again, I thought, when am I ever going to have the opportunity to learn um, how to do this? And so I wanted to learn the craft. And so in doing that, I think that that helped uh, me tap into the confidence that was already there. I was just thinking, I need to learn how to do this work and not just read it in a book. I'm such an applied um, person. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't just read it. I need to read it and do it. And so that's what I was trying to do was to help it stick with me. Um, but I, it, it, it increased my confidence. It, it boosted that. It got me to where um, I didn't even think about, do I need to, um, what can't I do? Or what do I need to, or who do I need to fight against or push against? It was just, I'm, I'm doing my job. And my job was great. I was doing a great job because I had built already that, those things in there um, that taught me how to do X, Y, and Z before I even got the opportunity to do that in the, in a big scale. Uh-huh. That's so, such special advice. Cause I also think young individuals are so worried about, um, their inexperience that they don't even put themselves themselves out there in the early stages mm-hmm. or admit their inexperience in order to level up. So it's okay to be, fresh in, in any type of business, take that and, and grow and, and use that time to, like you said, prepare yourself for the next, for the next uh, phase in your career. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you're, and you're prepared because in sports, it is, it is a male dominated field. So being, if you're going down the path of, in sports or even in business, you, you want to be prepared. And that back to the confidence thing that you, that, you know, we were talking about. So if you, if you're prepared, your confidence is there. So you're able to to navigate that a little bit easier, you know? Um, and I think it's one of the things that I, you know, I tell students, like you said, I tell students all the time, they're asking me, Oh, what you're doing, that's exactly what I want to be doing. And so as I talk to them, cause I think they just think I just happened to be here. I just got here, you know, poof, here I am now. And so I, I, <laughs> I tell them my path and, and, it's, and there's always like, you know, crickets on the end of the phone because it's, it's the quiet of you, you do. I'm like, yeah, for five years, I gave away my services for free. And they're like, Five years for five years, two years during my master's program and three years in my doctorate program. Yeah. I gave away services for free and um, it just shocks them every time, you know? Right. And I'm, I'm like, yeah, we, I, I'm doing that. That helps me get to where I am now. Um, so it, don't just get the degree and then think you're going to get these great jobs. You got to actually right. learn your craft, learn how to do it. Right. It's, it's that, that space of making it look so easy when really it's so challenging. And we see that from professional <laughs> athletes all the time, yeah. but it's also true of all these different businesses and career paths too. You get to a certain level and everyone's like, Oh, that looks so fun and easy. And it's like, yeah. wait, <laughs> it took X, Y, and Z to get here. Um, speaking of the X, Y, and Z that goes into getting to where you are at after your doctorate, Talk through the timeline that led you to your position with the Chicago Bulls. Sure. So um, I went to, I was at James Madison University. Um, mm-hmm. They did my internship there, um, which it's again, I, I, I got there and um, 
was able to do so much. Um, they were, they were prime. They were ready for someone to come in. And so I was there for about five years. Um, and, um, and Harrisonburg is a, it's a small town. I mean, it's, I think there was like 40,000, 45,000 students or no, 45,000 was the population. And I think like 20 something thousand were college students. So, um, as a minority, it was a rough place to live. And so, um, my career was great and I loved my job. Um, but I found that I was just kind of dying inside. I wasn't really doing anything. I needed to do more. Um, and also in the process of that, while we're in the, in the process, also in the timeline of that is, um, so I'm originally from Ghana mm-hmm. and, um, we, we had gone to Ghana for my, my grandpa's 80th birthday, the whole family. Like, it was like 40 of us who went to for his birthday party. And um, my cousin was there and um, he was 15. And so I, and, and I decided that when I came back to the United States, I wanted to legally adopt him and bring him to the United States. So I was, I was also going through that process of legally adopting him and bringing him to the United States, which all of that happened when I was still in Virginia. We were able to bring him to the U.S. Um, and then we were going, he and I, I was like, we're, we're moving. We're going to move to Chicago. It was moving to Chicago because I needed a big city. My sister was in the city in Chicago. So I thought, okay, we'll try to Chicago. Um, but uh, things derailed um, in, in a positive way. I, uh-huh. I think God was moving his little finger. And um, next thing you know, I get an invitation to the USOC. So uh, for the United States Olympic Committee. So we mm-hmm. moved to San Diego and worked for the Olympics. I did um, a winter Olympic, two winter Olympics and a summer Olympics. Um, lived in San Diego and, and I loved San Diego like most people did. It was, um, I, I loved it. And, um, I, the, um, October, 2011, um, went to the doctor and, um, and found out that I needed, that I needed to have surgery. I'll just say another surgery because I, as you know, as black women are prone to having fibroids. So I, I developed more fibroids. Um, but the doctor said to me, if I wanted to have by my own biological, biological children this may be my only opportunity so we had the surgery everything went well um and i used an anonymous donor and you know god gave me twins and so by october 2012 i was pregnant with twins <laughs> all that happened in a year um so i was actually at the went london london games i was pregnant with the twins i find out was pregnant with twins um so after i had the twins i still kept my job with the usoc and still was traveling um but I, I soon realized that um, this, is, this is one of those rare opportunities that I'm going to have to be able to spend time with these kids. Um, and my job was just really demanding. So I, I left the USOC and stayed home with the twins for 14 months. Um, it was a great time. Um, definitely challenge, challenging. I'm not a stay-at-home mom. And the women that can do that, I, I like, applaud you because that, <laughs> that is not an easy job whatsoever. No. And whatsoever. Um, but I, but again, had the feeling of, um, I, I, it was time to move. And this was more about, I wanted my twins to grow up with family mm-hmm. and, and, you know, my sister was still in Chicago and she had two little kids. And so I thought, well, let's move to Chicago. So we were, um, so I planned to move to Chicago of the winter 2016, mm-hmm. um, or not winter spring of 2016. I planned to move to Chicago. Um, and December of 2015, I got a call from the Chicago Bulls saying that they're looking to hire somebody. Um, sports tech is a small field and so names are flying around about things and so um february 2016 the bulls offered me the position so it's actually kind of funny because i was moving anyways in april um to chicago so to get a job (laughs) um to the bulls prior to that was i thought god's telling me i need to be in chicago absolutely Um, (laughs) and i just want to i want to interject for one quick second because wendy 
bet on herself. You were coming to Chicago with the mentality, I'll make it happen. Whatever I, I need to do, I'll make it happen. And it just happened. Well, it didn't just happen. You, know, <laughs> you earned it. You worked for it. But before you were even in the position to grind it out and figure out what the next step was, the Bulls, you secured your position with the Chicago Bulls. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I did. I, I, when I decided to move, it was the summer 2015, and I, I kind of looked in to see who was in Chicago doing sports psych, and I knew that um, my friend Gloria Bagley, which she was at UIC, um, that she was doing sports psych, and so I, I didn't see anybody with my credentials, so I thought, you know, I'm not going to stress over trying to find a job before I get to Chicago. I'll get to Chicago and I'll look for a job. Actually, I already contacted, because I worked waited tables at the Cheesecake Factory when I was in, in my doctor program. So I contacted um, the, the GM that was there in, in Phoenix, and so she had made the connection to someone in Chicago. So I was, I, I literally was planning to move to Chicago and wait tables and look for a job. That was, that was my, that was my plan. And then, you know, the Bulls called, so change of plans. <laughs> but yeah. I, you know, but that's always good. That's been my, that's you, that's been my mentality is that I, I will, it'll, I'll figure it out. I, I'm right. just not, I, I, I'm not, um, it's not that I'm not afraid of change or changing or afraid to fail. It's more of, I know that I'm going to do what I need to do to survive, whether that be work at Seven Eleven, work at JCPenney's, whatever. I mean, I've done it all. So it, it's just like, I, I know that's going to happen. Um, and I know that when I find what's right for me, again, the themes are there. When I find what's right for me, then it'll, it, it'll happen. So, um, it, it, it happened. And again, I feel like that that was, that was God's way of saying, yes, you need to move to Chicago. So, uh, so the twins and I, um, packed up and, um, made the trek from San Diego to Chicago. It was a hard move. I'm not going to lie. My, my <laughs> kid, it was hard leaving San Diego. My kids are Southern California babies to their core. They still, they, they still, still miss like, the warm weather. They still are like, when are we going back to the beach? We're we going back to that house in San Diego with the red couch. I'm like, it's not happening. It's, <laughs> sorry, guys. We're here. We're here for the long haul. Um, speaking of your credentials and knowing that in Chicago, there was no one that had them. You've discussed your degrees in detail. And one thing that you always openly said is that you wanted to be able to dictate your work-life balance. Mm-hmm. And your degrees were going to allow you to, to control that more than, you know, other, other factors. So how often are you in a room and you are one of the only individuals with your credentials and how have your degrees given you the space to say no to things that maybe you otherwise wouldn't have been able to? Sure, absolutely. So I, I'll, let me start by saying that um, be, because of my, uh, and, and I, and this, as you said, it was intentional. I, I, I realized when I was in my master's program that in order for me to um, be able to uh, do what I wanted to do, because I knew I always wanted to be a mom, I needed to have a doctorate. And so um, then I realized I need to have a clinical doctorate. And so it was all very intentional because I wanted to be able to, um, to, have, to have a family. And, and it, has, it has allowed me to say, um, to say no to different things and not worry because something else, something else is going to, um, come up. And, and it's not just a matter of just having the degrees, but again, it's just against sports, like a small field. So if you do bad work, people know that you're doing bad work. Mm-hmm. 
if you do good work, people know you're doing good work. And so um, I, I had been doing good work. And so, and I knew that was going to be, that was going to be my path. I wasn't going to stray and start doing some, you know, some nonsense. And so I thought, uh, I've always just thought that if I keep along this path, opportunities will continue to, will continue to happen. And so when I can decide, you know, what fits for me and what, what doesn't fit for me. Um, so I think that that has been um, very, very powerful and very intentional. Mm-hmm. Um, being in the space, I, I, obviously in my job, there is, I'm the only one in the bulls that, that, that does what I, what I do. Um, I think that the, <clears throat> the, the better question to answer would be um, how many times am I in a space where someone doesn't even recognize or acknowledge, <clears throat> excuse me, what I bring to the table or what I, what it is I can do until I have to actually show them so they can come in the room and see my, my background. I mean, it's there. They, they've read it and maybe even seen Dr. Winnie Bollaby, but still um, will mistaken me or, or take me as less than um, until I prove that I actually know what I'm saying and what I'm talking about. And that happens quite a bit. I, I'm always having to prove that, um, yeah, I'm supposed to be in this room and this is X, this is what I'm supposed to be in this room. And this is what I add to the table. This is what I bring. It's all value added. Um, but it's something that happens often, <laughs> often. Transitioning here just slightly, the league adopted new rules requiring teams to add a full-time mental health professional ahead of the 2019-2020 season, but you had already been with the Bulls for two years. What were some of the challenges that presented themselves coming into a position that hadn't already been established? You were really coming in and kind of starting from scratch, if you will. Yeah. And you know, I, it, besides the normal challenge, I would say it was just the normal challenges in sports like, which is just having to um, organically have things happen with the relationships with the players and the coaches. So it's, it's not forced. Um, you just have to be around all the time. So there's a lot of time just, you know, as, as, we, as you learned in school, hanging out, you have to learn how to hang out. You know, you spend a lot of time just hanging out for people to, to get the idea that you are with the team and you're here to help. You're just a resource. And so, um, it, it was mostly just, just the normal process of learning people's trust and them seeing how this is how it works. This is what she does. This is what she's not going to share. So that's, that was a normal thing. I think the, uh, uh, no, I think um, the, the Bulls knew um, going in that they wanted someone to be able to have this service for the, for the players. They uh-huh. just didn't know what it was going to look like. And so that was actually an, a great part for me because then I could come in and, and decide what it was going to look like. They just knew they wanted to offer the service, but they just didn't know exactly, you know, what that was going to look like for for staff or, or anything. So, um, so that was the positives that I, I got to do that, navigate that. And then still kind of still I'm navigating that and how that, what that looks like. And so that wasn't too much of a, a um, struggle um, come, being able to do that for, for the Bulls. How have you directly seen athletes openness about their mental health affect the, the world or, or our society, our everyday society? Sure. You know, I think that it's, um, I actually, I don't know if it's actually changed that much in what it is. And I would say from, for me, um, I, I think that I've, I've always seen athletes when they're ready to have the conversations about, you know, what's going on with them. Um, and sometimes they may not even realize that, that there is something going on. They're just, 
we're just having dialogue and then it kind of goes in that direction. Um, but I, I would say that it, I don't think it's really changed. I think that maybe the thing that's changed is that there's a label on it. People are putting, you know, you're, you're hearing it more, there's a label on it. But um, I, I think that, you know, for those of us in the sports psych world, I think that with the clinical piece, I think that we've, we've been seeing it. Um, may not have labeled it or, or called it this or called it that, but something I think we've been seeing in the works that we've been doing. Absolutely. Um, as a sports psych, you have so many people coming to you to improve their performance, but how do you improve your own? How do you take care of, you know, your own performance, daily performance as a mother and also as a woman in sports psychology? Um, that is definitely, <laughs> it, it changes often. Um, I, I, I tell I, my old intern that I had, um, I told her, one of the things I used to tell her is I don't judge my balance on your balance. And so it was what I tell people. Um, how I balance my work life is, is not a, you know, it's not equal, but it's balanced for me. So, you know, everybody's got to find where their, where their balance is. And so um, I've learned different things throughout, which is, um, I, I cannot work out in the afternoon. I, I know people can do it. I, I can't do it. I can't work out in the evening. It, it literally has to be the first thing I do. If not the first, maybe the second thing I do when I work, when I wake up, otherwise I just, for, I, I just don't operate that way. I don't, I will talk myself out of it. <laughs> There's always something else to do. It just does not happen. Same, so. <laughs> same. If I book an afternoon workout class, 90% chance I'm not showing up. It's, and, and the effort is there. I mean, I try. I'm like, I've like taken things to work and go like, oh, wait, you know what? I have like this two hour break. I'm going to, I'm just going to work out. And it doesn't happen. Never. I take the, I take the bag right back home with all my gym stuff in there. It, it doesn't happen. Guilty. So, Guilty. <laughs> so, so I, I, I get up at five thirty in the morning and get my workout in before I wake up the twins at seven. So that, that is a must that I have to do. Um, I do know that. Um, the other thing that I do is I, I love hot tea. Mm-hmm. So I try to have a cup of hot tea every day. Um, and when I do have a cup of hot tea, it's no phone, no music, no TV, no, no twins. It's just silence and me enjoying that cup of hot tea. Um, that, 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 that helps. Um, but I, I'm, I'm pretty good at finding pockets of time during the day. If I just need to, to walk away or, you know, to settle down, I'm not, I, I'm really good. Um, I, I say I'm really good that here you go. This, this would be a, um, reframe for procrastination. Um, I'm really good at deciding when I need to take a break. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love that. Um, <laughs> some people may call you a procrastinator. You know, I say I'm really good at, you know, deciding when I need to take a break. Here's how we're going to make procrastination a positive. <laughs> So I'm really good at deciding that I will, you know, work. And then I, 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 did, I will, I'll take a break. I'll walk around. Um, I, but it also my brain just does not work. I'm not one that can sit and like crank out something in, in two hours. I need mm. to, if an hour, if I'm working for an hour, you best believe I will have gotten up at least tw- twice to walk around and then come back. I just can't, I, I work more efficiently that way. So, um, so it's, it's, it's all about self-awareness which is what I talked to. I've always talked to athletes about from my JMU days, you know, who you are, you know, those little triggers, you know, those little fine tuned things about you. That's how you're able to, to move forward. You're able to figure out your obstacles. You're able to handle different situations because you know 
who you are and, and everything about who you are. And so it, it's all self-awareness. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm a subscriber. I try to tell people to do it and I, I live by it myself. And I, you know, I, that's why it changes because I change. As Absolutely. I change and learn and develop other things, it, it changes for me. Absolutely. I think that's, listen, we are dropping gems here and it's important to know everyone, what works for someone might not work for you. Self-awareness is key. You got to figure out what brings you to that peaceful place, what allows you to be the most successful day to day, because it's not going to match the person next to you. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, 2020 presented so many challenges and we are still working our way through those challenges but how did you adjust your workflow to handle those challenges both as a mother and as a businesswoman or a working woman (laughs) so um i i i laugh because i tell i've i've seriously have said this so many times i don't even know how many times i um I had to quit the first grade. My twins were in first grade. I was their teacher and we had to quit the first grade. The first time you said this to me, I laughed so hard. <laughs> I had to quit the first grade. It was not working being a first grade teacher and all the stuff they were sending in to do every day and managing them, myself, my job, the house, the bills, the car, the lawn. We couldn't go outside. Their moods, my moods getting food delivered. I mean, it was just cooking breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I, I, I it was too much. So, um, I, yeah, I, I had called the teacher and I was like, all right, we, we were quitting the first grade. <laughs> How do we just <laughs> skip ahead to the next chapter? We're just moving. Exactly. So, you know, this is, this is what I can do. I laid it out. I'm like, this is what we can do every day. We can read every day. We can do math every day. And then we're, I'll find something fun to do. But the, other than that, it's, we're, yeah, we're, we're, we're done. We, we're not going to do all these other things. And so mm-hmm. um, that was a huge liberation for me, you know, and that taught me um, two things that I, that I learned and what I continue to subscribe to and, and share with other women is that one is that we got to throw expectation out the window. You know, oh, what, what you used so to do, right. What you used to do and the way you did it, it's not, it doesn't look the same this year in 2020. Right. It just doesn't look the same. So throw expectation out the window. I mean, I, I'm used to being able to juggle 20 things and do them all really well. Mm-hmm. But then you throw in a, a pandemic. <laughs> and yes, it, uh, it, we're both throwing bets. our hands up here. I know you guys can't see us, but we're both throwing our hands up here. Yes. All, all bets are off. I mean, right. it was, it was just like, wait, what, what, what happened? So I had to throw expectation out the window. So I was no longer able to, uh, you know, do things in the, in the way and the manner that I was at, that I'm used to. So if, if it got done, it got done when it was supposed to get done. I, I wasn't pushing or stressing. Um, if, if we were in school, we had like a calendar, like every 30 minute increments of things that we were going to do um, every day. And if it was a day that they were like, mm, they're not really feeling it. Okay. Guess what? It's a movie day. We're on the couch and we're watching movies and we're playing games. Mm-hmm. I just kind of went with, went with whatever. So, Throw expectation out the window. The other thing um, I learned to do was to give myself grace. Allow myself that space. Yes. As right? Oprah to- says, a tweetable moment. We're going to do that. Give yourself <laughs> grace. Give yourself grace. I'll say things to yourself that you wish somebody would say to you or that you would say to your best friend in the time of need. Say those things to yourself. Give yourself that time to um, 
that extra 10 minutes that you need in the shower, that extra 10 minutes before you to lay down and not get up and do whatever. Give, 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 those, give those things to you. You know, make the foods that you like to make. Do, do, again, do those things. Give yourself grace. I think that, that it goes a long way. It doesn't have to be major, but it goes a long way. You know, um, I started reading again, which I, I usually only end up reading when I'm on the road because I don't have as much time. But I, I, I started reading. Even if it was a couple of, just a couple of pages a day, I was, I was reading. Uh-huh. I am a, I'm a, a expert at taking 30-minute extra long ho- showers. <laughs> we all need it. We do. <laughs> but how many of us actually get it? Exactly. Here's to so, taking that time back. <laughs> I took it back. I put, you know, I gave them their iPads and it was like, mom's taking a shower. <laughs> I need, I need this 30 minutes I myself. It. I need it. I need it. Give yourself grace. So take the, throw the expectation out and give yourself grace. And that's, and that's how I managed um, to, to, to continue to move forward. But again, I had to come to a place where I was like, I, I quit the first grade until I was at that space. I was still trying to still trying to do all those things and it was just not manageable. But until I stopped and said, I'm no, we're, I can't, I'm not doing it. I can't do it. Then there were things that I could actually accomplish. And I started to feel really good at what I was doing and where we were going. Absolutely. But I needed that moment. Absolutely. I think everyone has needed that moment throughout this year. And And I'm seeing that more people are taking that moment, but I still see there are plenty of people who have yet to give themselves that moment of acknowledging how this pandemic has forced us all to take some time back and that it's okay to do so, whether you're a parent, whether you're not, whatever the case is, Mm -hmm. um, it's okay to give yourself some grace and Mm -hmm. take some time back. Um, You know, as a woman, there is this, this, stigma out there that, you know, you can be a career woman or you could be a mother. You can have one, but you can't have both. Um, If you do have children, it's going to at some point, quote unquote, negatively affect your career trajectory. I'm not having that. How (laughs) have your children made you better at your job? Oh, my gosh. The first thing I'm going to say is that I had um, very hard boundaries prior to being a mom. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't share anything with any, with any athletes for sure. Nothing personal, but even um, um, personally, I, 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 I'm, a, I'm a very private person. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can't really be that private when you got little kids cause they like to share everything. So, mm-hmm. and you kind of need to share more than you need to. So, um, but that has shifted that. And I, but I think that has helped, um, in, and not with my work with the athletes, but I'm going to say with other people, um, in the business, uh, cause now, now they have a better, now they, they know me a little bit better, you know, cause when I work with the athletes. I don't think it really mattered. Um, but I think it, it's helped that piece. Um, they have increased my patience for sure. Mm-hmm. They have definitely increased my patience, which has been positive, positive, and they've helped me set those boundaries. Um, and it's where, where the space where it needs to be right. I need to take care of them because mm-hmm. I would normally, um, and taking care of me, as you, as I said before, there's not a lot I can, that I need to do because I figured out how to give myself these little, you know, breaks and these moments. And so I could, work all the time and still be good. But I needed to, because of them, I needed to learn how to stop 
and take those moments in order to make sure that they're okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that has allowed me to um, integrate that some into my work with, um, with, with the players and with athletes, because it, I, I've had to slow down and again, had those moments. And I, and I think um, when I, when I was with the Olympics, it, you know, I, I, I thought about if this was my child, cause they were, they were young, if this was my child, how would this, I would want somebody to, to be working in this direction or working or being that like this. And so it's little, it's changed a little bit of my perspective for sure. Um, and you know, the other thing is that that's funny is that they, I'm, I'm mom, they could care. They don't even understand mom works for the bulls there. I mean, you know, I could be, I don't even know. They, they don't, they don't understand. They don't right. get it. I work for the bulls, big deal, you know? Right. So to them, it's, it's, it's no big deal. You're, you're a mom. And so they have no, understanding of the magnitude of my job um which is beautiful because right, right? i it's beautiful so it i, I love that perspective it, it does it does absolutely absolutely um i know we have to uh wrap wrap up i can't keep you forever but <laughs> you know on top of everything you're doing in your career you are also the founder of wisdom not a nonprofit whose which mission the mission is to engage kids and show them there's more in the field of sports than, than being an athlete, than focusing Mm -hmm. on the competition aspect of sport. When did this idea for this nonprofit come to you and why, why is this the goal slash mission for it? Sure. So I had the idea and I wasn't really thinking of turning into a nonprofit. It was more of just the idea of, the, of developing the program, which was in my master's program. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I came in, I found sports like by happenstance. And so I thought I, I was raised in upper middle-class America. And so if I had no knowledge of a career in sports, besides being an athlete and a coach, um, inner city youth definitely have no knowledge of all these other careers out there. Right. So it was, it was something that I developed when I was in my master's program. I'm a, but then lay dormant. I didn't do anything with it um, until I came to the Bulls. And I was John Rondo, my first year, he does a lot of work with inner city youth. And so um, he asked me to do some things with him. And then he, he said, we should do more. And I was like, well, I kind of have this one program that I developed, but I've done nothing with it. And so we started talking about it and well, let's do something. And so he and I funded it and we turned it into a camp for two days and had like 40 something youth there. And it was, it was amazing. It was great. It was phenomenal. Um, and so the, the, the idea is that we don't want to take away their dream. So A, is there, that's their dream. We don't want to take it away. Um, however, the reality is that 99% of them are not going to make A. We yeah. just want to give them plan B, C, D, and F when they don't make A. Um, or even if they do make A, still give them plan B, C, D, and F because they still need it. And so mm-hmm. we're not trying to take away any dreams. We're just giving you information for when you do need it. Um, and so we, we did the camp. It was great. We did it two years in a row. And, and at the second year, it was like, well, maybe we should actually turn this into a nonprofit and do something with it. So um, that's, you know, Wisdom Knot was, was born. Wisdom Knot, um, I actually found a, uh, a Ghanaian symbol, which was two knots tied together. Uh-huh. And it and, um, translated was in English was Wisdom Knot. And it, it meant, the symbol means that once you... Loosely, when you find all the information out, you're able to make a really good decision. And I thought that's exactly wow. what we're talking about. Right. That's what we're talking about. So that's what, you know, wisdom came from that. And, and so it is, 
it is definitely a passion because it's what happened with me. I mean, I wasn't inner city, but again, I would not have found it if it wasn't for someone that just had mentioned it. And so wanting to expose them to these two different careers. And so, and we are, um, the, the beauty about wisdom, not is that the program is not just for basketball, it's with any sports. And so wanting to get that information out there, wanting to um, share with the youth, wanting to help them learn about themselves. It's a self-awareness, go figure, base theory. <laughs> go figure. Um, <laughs> no shock there. No shock there. It's all about self-awareness. So, you know, starting early, helping them develop the self-awareness piece and, and put, you know, helping them guide in that direction. Again, it's just giving the information. Um, but I think that as the, the times we've done this in youth, we've talked to in different programs we've done, it has been amazing at how surprised they are that, that, that there's these jobs out there. I mean, and social media would be a perfect example. I don't know how many times that I've had somebody, when you say, but like, that's a job. The person is just on Twitter. They're just on Facebook. Right. I'm like, yes, they carry around two phones and all you see on social media, that is their job. There's right. three people. We have like three people for the bulls. That's what their job is. And they're, they're just like shocked at that. Like, yes, that is a job. <laughs> right. And I also think that it shows kids how valuable their knowledge as mm-hmm. their young knowledge and their young experience is valued because yes. for, for a lot of people, you, you think, oh, I'm, I'm young, I'm inexperienced, but it, in sports, there's so much, and in so many fields, there's, there's value in being yes. the youngest person in the room. There's value yes. in your inexperience. It doesn't always have to be, I'm inexperienced. So I have to lay back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there's value in that. Absolutely. Um, people can find out more information about wisdom, not at wisdom, Yes, ma'am. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. Um, So everyone listening, check that out again at wisdomnot.org. My last question is something I'm asking every guest that comes on this show, but what is your hope for the next generation of women in sports? Um, The biggest thing is that equal pay. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the biggest thing for, for athletes, for sure equal pay and equal opportunity that that would be what I would be hoping for. I think that um, it would be amazing for there to no longer be conversation about women having to do X, Y, and Z in order to even get a fraction of what the men are doing. And the, but they're still considered professional athletes that there's no women's teams taking another, taking the ownership or whatever to court to try to, to, to get paid for whatever job, you know, job that they're doing, whatever team they're paying. I think that would be great if that's not even, it's, it's not even on the book. So I would say equal pay and equal opportunity. Beautiful. That is such a beautiful dream and goal and, and something that shouldn't even be a dream and goal. It, yeah. should, it should have always been and it should always be. But yes. that's the point of these conversations is to shed light on the fact that there is still so much that we need to discuss and, um, shed light on. And so for that, I am so thankful, Dr. Wendy Ballaby, for your time and appreciate you so much for coming on Equal Play. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. 
book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.